Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Rambling with Ryu. I'm Bean. And I'm Nancy, and today we're going to talk to Sonia. She is the owner of Curvy Spine Clinic here in Edmonton. She specializes in treatment of scoliosis. So welcome, Sonia. I'll just have you go a little bit more into your background, kind of where you're from, and how you got into, you know, treating scoliosis. Hi, everybody. So yeah, my name is Sonia Schreiber, and I'm originally from Serbia, which is in Europe. I did my undergrad in kinesiotherapy, where I specialized in uh, treatment of musculoskeletal problems, including scoliosis, spinal deformities, but also other musculoskeletal disorders. And I got especially interested in scoliosis after my practicum in healthcare center for sports medicine and kinesiotherapy where I started increasingly seeing girls with scoliosis. I got very interested in this particular problem because of the way they were trying to hide their bodies because they were very self-concerned. And then also because there was no actual treatment that really helped to improve the problems of scoliosis, so signs and symptoms of scoliosis. So I, I could not, you know, rest with the fact that uh, there was no treatment available for them. So I started to search for options to help them. I tried yoga, I tried Pilates, and none of these methods worked. I also obviously tried first the methods that I learned at school, which is kinesiotherapy. Those methods, none of them worked. And then at the time, I was also doing my master's degree in kinesiotherapy and sports medicine and came across the Schrott method Mm -hmm. that originates from Germany in 1921. It was founded by the woman named Katharina Schrott, who herself had scoliosis. Okay. Yeah. And so she observed herself in the mirror and figured that her scoliosis had something to do with parts of the body being indented and then some parts of the body being pushed out so then she tried to use this so-called derotational breathing positioning herself in a specific positions and then she figured that she can actually reshape her torso so so that was very exciting for her and so she started first to treat the other people in her own apartment and then later her daughter Krista Schrott joined her who was a physiotherapist And then the two of them, they started to treat patients in their own apartment. Then later they bought another apartment next to theirs. And so, you know, the clinic, the first clinic started to grow and then later to grow into a bigger clinic that currently exists at the same location in Bad Zobenheim in Germany. Yeah. And so I observed amazing results using Schrott with my patients back in Serbia And at the time, I was just finishing my master's, and I wanted to pursue a PhD, and I wanted to test this in a randomized controlled trial. So I looked for opportunities in Canada, USA, and Australia at the time. Yeah, and then I found U of A. So I I focused all my attention into getting here. I got a scholarship. I found a great mentor, Dr. Eric Perrant, and... Together, we did this first randomized controlled trial on the Schrott method for patients with scoliosis. And so this is basically, I mean, that's kind of like, in a nutshell, my sort of a path. So I I treated patients with scoliosis back home in Serbia since 2008. 
I started my PhD in 2009. And then after, after I completed my PhD, a couple of years later, I opened a curvy spine clinic that specializes in treating patients with scoliosis, kyphosis, and other spinal disorders. That's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Quite the list of accomplishments, so good job. That is impressive. Thanks so much. All right, so now we're going to dive into the nitty-gritty of scoliosis and the different types of treatment methods and stuff like that. So let's start with what is scoliosis? Yeah, so the usual definition that you will find on the internet says it's a side-to-side curvature of the spine, but that is really not a complete definition. We have to take into account that scoliosis changes the shape of the spine, not only side-to-side, but also pushes the spine in, in rotation, mm-hmm. but also it pushes spine when you are observing the body from the side. So basically it changes the position of the spine in all three planes of the body. So all of a sudden you don't have straight spine if you're looking into a person from the back, but it becomes more of a S shape or sometimes C shape. But also it changes the, the position when you look uh, at a person on the side. So most commonly, people with scoliosis tend to appear as if they are very erected when you are looking at the side. And this is because they are losing this normal curvature in the back that is supposed to kind of like curve a little bit. So they lose that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the rotation of the spine makes the torso kind of misshaped so then they have different protrusions in in the back or indentations in different parts of the of the body so like uh, convexities and concavities and then that affects the organs that's in the trunk right so it could but the scoliosis has to progress to a very large degree so scoliosis is measured in degrees mm-hmm. and we call those degrees Cobb angle. Mm-hmm. So you have to when you are when you are measuring scoliosis, you are measuring it on a posterior anterior X-ray, and then uh, you're measuring from the beginning to the end of the curve, drawing lines, and then where they kind of like meet, that's the angle that is called Cobb angle. And so, if scoliosis progresses to point when it's somewhere around 100 degrees or more, then it can compress the internal organs certainly, and then cause cardiopulmonary restrictions and other problems. All right. So scoliosis is three-dimensional, not two-dimensional. Is kind of what we've just kind of discovered, yeah. I guess, through mm-hmm. this, right? So it's not that classic, just the S-curve you see from behind, but it, it moves forward through all the different planes of movement and of the body. That's correct, yes. Can we discuss a little bit of the common types of scoliosis? I know you kind of said the C-shape or the S-shape. But are there more different common types? Okay, so first of all, if you mean in terms of shape, then this is pretty much what, what we discussed, S-shaped or C-shaped. But if we're discussing types of scoliosis, then we distinguish several different types. So congenital, which is a type of scoliosis the person gets born with. So this type of scoliosis is due to malformation of vertebrae or mal-segmentation of the vertebrae. This means that in utero, there is a process as the baby develops and then the vertebrae will not form properly. So then it will become, one vertebrae may look like uh, a wedge 
And so you can imagine that the above and below that wedged vertebrae, the, the normally shaped vertebrae have to align towards it and then creating a curve. But it can also be due to mal segmentation. This means that if two, for example, adjacent uh, vertebrae do not segment properly, which also can cause scoliosis from, from birth. So that is congenital. Then it can be neuromuscular scoliosis, which is due to some neuromuscular diseases. It can be syndromic which then we have scoliosis as secondary to some syndromic problems, like, for example, cerebral palsy or other types of syndromes. And then scoliosis is just a response to this genetic disorder. And then the majority of scoliosis is so-called idiopathic scoliosis. And idiopathic simply means that there is no known cause. So we don't know Mm -hmm. the cause of of scoliosis. And interestingly, idiopathic scoliosis actually accounts for more than 80% of all scoliosis. So this congenital neuromuscular and syndromic scoliosis, they just account for approximately 20%. But those are known causes of scoliosis. Well, those are some big numbers. So... In terms of structural versus functional scoliosis, is that a common way in which practitioners talk about scoliosis? Because I know in school we learn about it that way, but yeah. is that an accurate representation of how scoliosis can be classified? Yeah, I mean, so there are different types of classifications. So it could be classification by age as well. It could be classification by morphology. So, for example, that's the one that you are describing. And if mm-hmm. we talk about structural versus functional scoliosis, The difference is, in simple terms, whether this scoliosis is already in the bones or is it correctable. So if we're talking about functional scoliosis, this could be, for example, faulty posture, meaning Mm -hmm. that the person only is assuming so-called bad posture. So then they kind of like look like they have scoliosis, but actually their spine can be corrected. But if there is structural scoliosis, then there is actual structural problem in the bones. So then scoliosis cannot be just simply corrected, for example, by asking a person to stand up right, or if you put them into a non-weight-bearing situation, for example, by letting them to hang off of a bar or bent forward. So that scoliosis will still be present. So that's also now something I think it's interesting to mention down these lines is the way we actually test for scoliosis or screen for scoliosis. So we screen for scoliosis by using this so-called Adams bending test, which is where you ask a person to stand on both feet, keeping knees straight, and then bending forward as they wanted to touch their feet, keeping the knees fully straight. And the reason for that is because we know that scoliosis, if it's structural, the deformity is actually going to be increased. So we're going to see these structural changes on the torso if scoliosis is structural. If it's functional, for example, it can be due to leg line discrepancy or just simply bad posture, then this uh, curve will be completely eliminated by doing this bending test. So that is in terms of functional and structural. Awesome. And we touched a little bit on this, the common causes of scoliosis. So what are some reasons that people can develop scoliosis, aside from it being congenital or that basis from very young, like uh, as an infant? So causes of scoliosis could be, as I said, congenital, could be neuromuscular, 
or due to some syndromes, so secondary. So scoliosis in, in all of these cases is just a response to something else going on in the body. It could also develop, for example, from if a child has a heart surgery and then uh, this scar tissue is so rigid that it can mm -hmm. pull this soft tissue and then create scoliosis in this way. It can be due to some cancers, tumors. It can be due to some syndromes. It can be due to, for example, syrinx. Syrinx is one of, one of the causes of scoliosis, which is a syndromic cause of scoliosis. This is when a cyst develops in a base of the skull. And so then in the spinal cord, uh, there is this cyst that then pushes on the spinal cord. And so scoliosis can develop in this way. And then again, those are known causes of scoliosis. When we talk about idiopathic causes, we really don't know what causes it. And current stance in the literature is that it is multifactorial. So it could be different things. It could be biomechanical. It could be biochemistry issues. It could be various, various uh, genetic problems. But we don't really know what causes mm -hmm. this type of scoliosis. And, and the way we diagnose scoliosis, which is, again, something interesting, is by exclusion. So when a child presents at the office, then you first conduct different tests. So, for example, to exclude neuromuscular scoliosis, you would conduct a neuromuscular tests. So it's exclude that. If you suspect uh, some congenital or syndromic disease, that might cause this scoliosis, and usually those would be left thoracic scoliosis, then you would send a child to, to get an MRI just to confirm or, or basically exclude your suspicion that there is uh, some syndromic or neuromuscular or potentially congenital. And then if all of these are excluded, then, then we would diagnose idiopathic scoliosis. Very cool. Uh, we've talked a little bit more about the neuromuscular cause, because I know a lot of our listeners would have that side of things. So whether it be spinal cord injury or different uh, reasons for neuromuscular cause of scoliosis. So I guess, can we dive into a little, that a little bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, neuromuscular scoliosis is secondary to some other problems. So, for example, if you have a child with neuromuscular disease, then the muscles do not function properly. So then the scoliosis may present itself. It could also be due to you know, brain injury or spinal cord injury. And in this way, again, scoliosis may present itself. All right. So now let's talk about the treatment options for scoliosis. I know you mentioned in the very beginning when you were introducing yourself, you were having a hard time finding something that was actually making a difference. You mentioned yoga, Pilates, that kind of thing. Can we go a little bit more into the treatment options? Yes. So when, when talking about treatment for scoliosis, standard of care in North America and, I mean, USA and, and Canada is observation which means a child would be monitored for progression by taking uh, x-rays every six months, mm -hmm. which means there, there will be no actual treatment applied during that period. And they would recommend this type of a treatment by observation for children who have scoliosis less than 20 to 25 degrees measured by Cobb. Then if a child is a growing child and has scoliosis, 
between 25 to 40 to 45 degrees, then bracing would be recommended. If a child is more than 45 degrees, then a surgery would be recommended. Now, more recently, exercises for scoliosis, and I say exercises for scoliosis because this is not any type of exercises. It is what we call PSSC or physiotherapeutic scoliosis specific exercises, which are the exercises that have been specifically designed for scoliosis, are gaining more interest among surgeons and other practitioners. So now we can say that there are four uh, types of actual treatment for scoliosis, and those are observation for very small curves, PSSCs like SHROT, so scoliosis-specific exercises like SHROT, they can be used for all curve types, basically, and regardless of the curve magnitude, it can be used for very small curves, can be used as an adjunct to bracing, can be used as a preparation for surgery, can be also used in a post-surgical process, it can also be used for any group, so regardless of age, children, adults, or elderly. Then we have bracing option. So bracing option is for growing children from 25 to approximately 40, 45 degrees. But it can also be used for uh, older patients, especially elderly with specific curve types. And then the final uh, sort of last resort would be surgery. And then surgery also can be different types of surgery. So it could be by spinal fusion, mm -hmm. which is a completely irreversible procedure whereby surgeons would insert a, a titanium rod inside of the spine and then they would fixate it to vertebrae and then in this way the vertebrae will fuse itself and so there will be no movement in the fused portion of the spine. Then there are different types of surgery for example for children there is something what is called VBT surgery which is vertebral body tethering surgery. This is a surgery that is what they like to say, non-invasive surgery, it is still surgery, but there is no fusion of the spine. So the spine still remains flexible. And then what they would do is they would go inside and put some screws into length of spine that is affected by scoliosis. And instead of a rod, titanium rod, they would put a tether or a cord, and that will be on the convex side of the curve. And then they will tighten this cord so that they can straighten the spine as much as possible. And this is the way they would do it, but the person will still remain flexible. And then with that, shot would still be indicated because we can continue moving the spine towards the center because how much correction they can get depends directly on flexibility of the curve. There is another surgery which is called APFIX. And again, it's also for growing children with primary thoracic curves. And it's like a medical device that you implant on an apex of the curve, and then it functions like a ratchet. So then the exercises, the shrot-like exercises are recommended. Patients need to do those exercises. So they keep on moving the spine in an appropriate direction. And then the ratcheting system, the device in the spine will move the spine as the spine moves through the motion by doing these exercises towards more and more straighter position. And then for younger children, like infants and juveniles who are still having lots of growing to do, they would use growing rods. 
and then these growing rods they need to be adjusted as the child grows so usually occurs every six months and then previously they were doing this by reoperating so a child with growing rods can actually go through you know 20 surgeries during the growth but now they are using magnetic rods so with use of magnets they can extend the rods so those would be the most commonly used sort of surgical procedures. Oh, very informative. I just have a question. So in your experience and all of your research and stuff, do you find that bracing is effective? Bracing? Yeah. Well, so that question needs to be dissected. <laughs> so most of these researches that have been done so far are done on adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Okay. And we now have quite strong study that suggests that braces can help halt the curves from progression, which means to stop the curves from progression. But then again, this is in the population of adolescents with idiopathic scoliosis. Mm -hmm. And now that is what, what we can say. Another thing is that there are vast variety of different types of braces right. and depending on curve type depending on the diagnosis of scoliosis different types of braces would be prescribed for a person you can have for example you know a full-time brace or a nighttime brace and a nighttime brace is is a type of a brace that kind of like positions the person into an overcorrected position and then this brace can only be worn at night because you just can't walk around like, you know, bent opposite of your curve. Yeah. And then you have these full-time braces. And then among these full-time braces, there's still a vast majority of different types of braces in terms of biomechanics that they use. So most commonly used in North America are still these TLSO braces, a so-called Boston type of a brace which is basically a tubular design of a brace. It doesn't respect three-dimensional characteristics of scoliosis and kind of like puts the body into this position and then hopes that this scoliosis will not continue to progress. So it doesn't take into account the rotation of the curve and also the sagittal misalignment as well. But we also have different types of braces that are so-called chenot type of a brace and the biomechanics of that brace is completely different and it's 100% tailored to the person and it takes into account all three planes of the body mm -hmm. and one good thing about these braces is that you can actually use them together with shrot meaning if you have this type of a brace and you use shrot you can get three treatments which is shrot alone cheno brace alone mm -hmm. or exercises in the brace so you can benefit very much from this because they use the same principles of biomechanical correction where the other ones are you know two-dimensional tubular design and you can't really expand your chest uh, asymmetrically when you are wearing this type of a brace but I think that if the brace is warranted it should be used there is still lots of over treatment with braces we, we still don't know which children would benefit from wearing a brace, which wouldn't, so that we can then prescribe better and more effectively. So from current research, we know that at least 10% of the people who prescribe braces actually never needed to wear one. Oh. Yeah, there's quite some over-prescription of the braces, but it's just, we don't know. Re research needs to move more into that direction. I guess just like everything else, it's a lot of trial and error. 
Yeah. And you know, you don't really learn much about scoliosis at school. Mm-hmm. This goes for all health practitioners. If you really are interested in scoliosis, you really have to take additional training. Yeah. Because it's just like when a person has pain and goes presents to a doctor's office, then they would just treat them as anybody who has pain. And then this pain could be well because of scoliosis. So then instead of prescribing regular treatment, mm-hmm. they should be prescribed, you know, scoliosis specific treatment. Well, that's kind of the same problem that we face with activity-based training. This stuff isn't taught in schools. And if you do want to know more about it, you do have to go out and learn on your own. But it's so good to know that there's people here in Edmonton that are providing this service that is greatly needed. Yeah, I think so. All right, let's go into more about the Shroff Method. We've talked about it a lot, but let's go into what is it and what's the whole background, I guess. We we talked about the lady and her daughter, um, but let's go back to when did it start and how did it really develop? Yeah, so it's super interesting how she came up with this idea. It was founded, like I said, in 1921, which is 99 years ago. Wow. 99 years ago, I know. And there's still lack of knowledge about the method. Not to mention the lack of therapists who are trained in the method. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, it originates from Germany, but even in Germany, it is not widely prescribed to people. So, Katrina Schrott uh, founded the method in 1921 in Meisen, which is in eastern part of Germany, and she had scoliosis herself. And then in the late 30s and early 40s, her daughter, Krista Schrott, joined her, and then together they continued developing the method. And what is Schrott in a sort of easy, understandable way to say this is a scoliosis-specific exercise approach that treats the body as a whole in all three planes of the body. So this means that we first assess the person And then based on our specific assessment that we learn in the training, we would uh, be able to specifically classify this person in approximately 10 or 11 different curve types. And then based on this, we will be able to prescribe specific uh, types of exercises for a person. So we would basically assess each part of the body and we would understand what is happening in each of the body parts and then we it's like jenga so we would then kind of like play a little bit of jenga and realign all these parts in the best possible alignment for that particular person and then we would at that point activate the muscles so that whatever needs to be strengthened will be strengthened whatever needs to be lengthened would be lengthened but all happens at the same time. And then we will use this specific rotational breathing whereby we will push the concavities out and push the convexities in. And so that happens all at the same time. So it's very, very specific method. It is nothing like your normal physiotherapy, for example. Mm-hmm. 
It does not use any bending or anything like this, which can be actually contraindicated for scoliosis because not entire spine is bent. And then when you look into the whole spine and you draw the line of scoliosis, different things are happening at the level of each individual vertebrae. So you really have to understand what's happening in each individual part of the spine so that you can position the body in a particular way that is going to bring the body into the best possible alignment and then use the shrot breathing, which is essential component of shrot and it has to be done properly. So that is sort of in a nutshell, I hope that I made this a little bit clearer. It's easier when you see it, but the method itself is complex in a sense that requires specific things be done on a specific part of the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you go into depth a little bit more about why is breathing so important? Just the basic anatomy of the ribs attaching to the spine and that type of thing. So when you think about the breathing mechanic, you must understand that the ribs attach to the spine. And so because they attach to the spine, and if the spine deviates well the rib cage is also going to deviate mm -hmm. and so if you look into a person with scoliosis what is the most obvious thing that you can see this is the protrusion on the back which is where the ribs come out for example or on the front which is what people see they don't really see their backs so but they will see on the front and then they will see that one of the ribs in the front is sticking out more than the other and the reason for that is because every scoliosis, by definition, structural scoliosis, has rotation. So then the rib cage will also be rotated to the side where the spine curves. But not only that, the ribs will also start to deform. So the entire rib cage will also start to deform because at that point, we're not talking about rotation anymore. It becomes torsion, which is different uh, mechanical direction. So it's a torsion and not rotation because if it was only rotation then there would be no scoliosis because you can just simply derotate but it's actually torsion that creates this deformation of the rib cage so if we understand that this is how scoliosis mechanically sort of presents from inside by affecting not only the spine but also the rib cage with ribs and the entire body because this is going to be reflected on the hips, on the shoulders, on the knees, on the feet, the entire body will be affected by those changes in the spine and the ribcage. We have to understand that breathing is essential. When we look into, for example, into the x-ray of a person with scoliosis, you can see that one side where the curve is, is going to be with ribs quite open. They look like a person has inhaled, while on the opposite side, the ribs are kind of like compressed together, so they are collapsed. So the intercostal muscles on that side clearly need to be stretched out, where the side on the convex side of the curve needs to be brought back in. And how can you do that? Well, you cannot simply do bending and whatnot. You have to use the breathing because intercostal muscles and diaphragma will be used to expand the collapsed ribcage on the concavity, and then would bring together the side of convexity. So that's why breathing is so important. It is a corrective, it is a crucial component of shot 
exercises. You cannot do shrot without breathing. It does not work. Shrot is not shrot without the shrot breathing. And this shrot breathing is very specific. It is not just any type of breathing. It really requires a specific training so that the person can understand the breathing mechanics that we are requiring them to do for the effective shot treatment. Mm-hmm. So would you say that the breathing is one of the key components to the Schroth method that makes it stand out from, let's say, other scoliosis-specific programs? Uh, what are other scoliosis-specific programs? Like other scoliosis exercise programs, or I guess, are there other scoliosis <laughs> exercise programs out there? <laughs> That's the thing. Now, I have to say this because uh, this is a, a very common misconception People think that they can just uh, treat scoliosis in whatever way because what they seems to be this way. So I'm just going to maybe counterband in the opposite direction. But that's not how things work. Sorsort. I have to mention Sorsort. And Sorsort is International Society on Scoliosis Orthopedic Treatment that is uh, advocating for conservative treatment of scoliosis. And Sorsort is dedicated to uh, non-operative treatment, like I said, and they have came up with this term, what I mentioned before, PSSC, Physiotherapeutic Scoliosis Specific Exercises. And by that definition, there is only several methods that can indeed call themselves scoliosis specific exercise treatment. And this exercise treatment, by definition, must involve education of a patient, which is we teach the patient about their curve type, about how their scoliosis affects their posture and their life. Then there has to be autocorrection, specific autocorrection that is implemented in the treatment, which is self-correction, the ability of a person to self-correct. Then there is a three-dimensional treatment, which means that all the exercises have to be conducted in all three planes of the body at the same time. So you cannot, for example, do bending and then you're going to do flexing and then you're going to do extension, whatever. So everything what's needed has to happen at the same time in all three planes of the body. And then finally, it has to happen integration. So integration into daily activities has to happen, which is, for example, such advices of specific activities of daily living. So for example, how a person sits, how a person sleeps, walks, uh, brushes teeth, reaches for the cup, uh, you know, in a cupboard or stands in a line or whatever, those activities of daily living need to be adjusted for this particular person. And then stabilization of all of these little changes that has to happen. So by definition, these five components need to be a part of a specific scoliosis treatment in order for the treatment to be called a treatment. Otherwise, this becomes just any activity. So is swimming good for scoliosis? It is not going to correct scoliosis, but you can go swim if you feel good swimming. Is regular physiotherapy or conventional physiotherapy good for scoliosis? It's not going to help to decrease the curve or to improve any signs and symptoms of scoliosis because it's not scoliosis specific. This is kind of like in a nutshell, you know, what scoliosis specific treatment treatment is. So not all physical activities are indeed treatment for scoliosis. 
All right. That's very informative. Thank you. So can we talk a little bit more about who can benefit from it and what's the earliest or I guess, is there such thing as too early an intervention Mm -hmm. for the Schroth method? Yes. Well, who can benefit from the Schroth method? Pretty much anybody who presents with any type of scoliosis. And then it doesn't matter if we are talking about a child or if we're talking about an adult or elderly, whoever has scoliosis, postural or functional or structural as well. In terms of different types of scoliosis, again, we can use it. Now, if we're talking about, for example, congenital or neuromuscular or syndromic scoliosis, then really what we are doing is we, are, we would be just treating what we see. So we are not really treating the problem. But uh, anybody can benefit from it. So, you know, people with smaller curves, medium curves or larger curves, post-surgical, pre-surgical, everybody. Very cool. And is there such thing as too early treatment or the earlier the better kind of thing? So when we talk about Schrott, one thing that sort of stands out is that it's relatively complex method. So to learn all of these little things that a person needs to do and all at the same time requires a certain level of postural awareness and just ability to do those little movements that we are requiring them to do. So having said that, Schrott is really about the principles of correction. So we are able to modify the treatment and to tailor the treatment to suit the needs of a particular person, even if the maybe cognitive uh, aspect is not very high. So we can still apply the principles of correction and then have a benefit from this. And in terms of how early is early, well, clearly we cannot treat scoliosis if there is no scoliosis, right? Uh, And by definition, scoliosis is if cob angles exceed 10 degrees, so 10 or more degrees measured on an x-ray. But I've seen quite a few cases where the x-ray shows a straight spine, but there is a clear rotation. And that's the problem with x-rays. X-rays are two-dimensional and the scoliosis is three-dimensional. So this is not the best tool to measure whatever. But if you see a rotation on the x-ray, you have to account for that because this most surely is going to mean that the lateral curve is going to start to develop. So in these children, you can already start using shot. If there is interest in this and the child is willing to do, again, it's not good to do over-treatment because the problem with starting too early is that you might lose interest of that child when scoliosis really progresses and the treatment is very much needed. So this is also something that needs to be taken cautiously. Fair enough. Is there any such thing as too young, I guess, is another way to put that question? Yeah, too young. So again, there is a certain cognitive level that is needed. So people or kids really need to understand what is asked from them. But a good shot therapist can modify the exercises appropriately for the age, just using the shot principles rather than focusing to do a full-blown shot with all these complicated exercises. So there is a way to modify the exercises and to use shot principles and not to really focus on a full execution. 
Yeah, fair enough. So, when we're talking about infants, I guess the education would be more for the parents and that side of thing then? Correct. So infants with scoliosis, this is usually neuromuscular scoliosis. And these kids, what we need to do is we need to use, as I said, like again, you know, short principles. But then what is the point of this? The point of this is to stop this so-called vicious cycle of progression of scoliosis. Because what we know is that scoliosis continues to progress when loading on the spine continues to be asymmetrical and keeps on feeding into this cycle of progression. So our job is to stop that vicious cycle of, prog of progression by, for example, teaching parents how to position their infant, for example, for sleeping or sitting or whatever activities they are doing. We can also modify wheelchairs to assure that the patient is in an appropriate alignment in the wheelchair. So basically, we are talking about passively using Schrott principles to bring the spine out of the curve. So in this way, you can use it very early. Awesome. All right. So now we're going to move on to some success stories. So would you be willing to share a few of those from your personal experience? Yeah. So I thought maybe because you were asking me about young child. So I can say this. There were uh, a family approached to me when a girl was eight years of age. And on an x-ray, her cob measured nine degrees. So nine degrees is what we kind of like say, well, this is not really scoliosis. It wasn't 10 or more on the x-ray, but the family was very, very concerned. So they contacted me and I said, you know, I don't really want to start the treatment unless you are very, very certain that you want to do it. For those reasons that I mentioned before, because I didn't want to lose the child and her interest in case this scoliosis progressed to bigger numbers. But they were really adamant and wanted to try because the girl wanted to avoid bracing altogether because they knew that if scoliosis continues to progress, that she might need to wear a brace. So we started and within six months, she was fully straight and we are continuing the treatment, uh, changing the treatment according to how her spine is changing. She grew a lot since the time we started the treatment, but she continues to have straight spine and she still doesn't have her period, which is very important for scoliosis because we know that scoliosis progresses during the time when there is a growth spurt. And the growth spurt is mostly shortly before the onset of the period. So we really want to be proactive before that time. So that would be one thing. And this is just one girl. I mean, there is more of similar cases that avoided bracing altogether. There was another case of 15-year-old girl who was considered to be done growing. She already had period for two, more than two years. She had scoliosis of 28 degrees, and she didn't want to wear a brace, even though it was recommended. So she started with her shot, and now she is under 10 degrees, continuing to have nice and straight spine. So a girl presented to me, and she was 10 years of age at the time, having been diagnosed with cerebral palsy in a wheelchair, nonverbal, and the family was obviously concerned. So her scoliosis developed and was quite rigid. So what we did, we, we treated her with specific mobilization techniques and also positioning. So basically, we trained her mother 
to do these specific mobilization techniques because, you know, cerebral palsy also comes with contractures and difficulties moving the joints. So you have to really be careful and understanding the entire condition to be able to move the joints in a direction of correction. So then the mother was trained to do those things. And then also uh, specific shrot mobilization techniques and then positioning for sleeping, for watching TV, and then also adjustment of her wheelchair. Yeah, and then the family was very satisfied with how the treatment went. So the curve did not progress to this point. Then another case I thought might be interesting also is elderly, how you can use shot in elderly. So I had a woman 82 years of age, and she came to me with osteoporosis. And so this is a different type of scoliosis. So this is also idiopathic, but the de novo, it's called the de novo, and appears after the growth has stopped, so in adults. So this is a person who did not have scoliosis before, but developed scoliosis because of bone degeneration. And she started to completely bend to one side, just having a forward posture. And we started the treatment and she was able to stand straight and she continues to do her exercises on a daily basis. With this type of scoliosis, though, I have to say that when scoliosis develops after the growth has ceased, so in adults, these patients present both weak and with stiff curves, mm-hmm. usually, which is not a good combination. But this woman, she really improved significantly and her strength improved, thus able to bring her spine in a better alignment. But she has to continue doing her exercises on a regular basis to be able to stand tall. And she also has a specific adult brace that she's using on a daily basis. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's like with any other program, right? You can't stop. Once you stop, it can reverse back. And so you have to continue going. And that's the same thing with our program is, you know, you can regress if you stop. And so it is a continual progression. And like, sometimes it sucks and it's frustrating, but you know, you have to put in that effort every day to really live your best life and always be better. Yeah. The way I like to think about this is that scoliosis is there to stay. This is not something that you can heal. So it's not some sort of an injury that is going to heal. Mm -hmm. It is a condition that stays with you. You just have to learn how to manage it. And it is the management that basically what we are doing. And then I like to kind of like, I compare this to diabetes. So if you have diabetes, you have diabetes and that's it. You will just have to change your medication. Yeah. And in this case, the medication is exercises. Yeah. So you just have to keep on doing this. And good thing about SHOT, for example, is that if you are doing your adjusted activities of daily living, you are still doing your SHOT. Yeah. So you will still continue to benefit from the treatment, even if you are maybe doing your exercises like four to five times a week. Right. But it's management. That's awesome. You've provided some really great information and even some stuff that I didn't know about scoliosis, which is pretty cool. I mean, we met during another webinar that somebody else hosted and this world is so small and many people have told us that they wish that they had found us sooner. I kind of wish that I had found you sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's nice to have that resource to tell people, right? Because you actually know what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, no, it, this is a constant, you know, discussion as well in our clinic, like at your clinic as well. 
which is like, oh, you know, I, I did not know about this. Yeah. The problem is there is this disconnect between healthcare and the community service. Yeah. And people don't know who to believe, what to do, what are the options, are the options that are presented to me, you know, the best options. And then usually how people find us is mothers who do not accept status quo and they want to be proactive. And then they go online and then they try to find the best possible way and they're like, oh, okay. So that's, that's pretty much for you as well. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, we can work together to really bridge that gap between the medical system and the community resources that are available because things are shifting, things are changing now. And I think they're all going in the right direction. And so I do think this is a time where we can really work together to try to provide the best resources for the people. Because I mean, that's ultimately everyone's goal is to help as many people as we can, right? Yeah, 100%. We should, we should never underestimate the patients and their advocacy. Yeah. So many times you see patients going to, to doctor's offices and then they would just say like, I want this. And, and the doctor didn't know about it, right? So then this is also the way to communicate and to work together, providing the best care. So one now I have one of the most important questions for you is how can people contact you? How can they get in contact with your clinic and where can they find you? So the name of our clinic is Curvy Spine. And so I think we kind of like have a lot of information online by going on our website, curvyspine.com. Okay. We are currently located uh, one block off of White Avenue South and one block off of 99th Street West. So kind of like uh, in that area uh, by Blushley. Okay. Yeah. So that's probably the best way to do it. And we kind of like provide all the information. On, on our website. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll put that website in the description of this podcast. And yeah, thank you so much, Sonia. You've really given us so much information. And this is something that we haven't talked about before, but it is very prevalent in people with spinal cord injuries as well to have scoliosis. And so it's nice to be able to talk about the different types and the different treatments that are available. So yeah, thank you so much for your expertise. Thank you for being curious into this subject and for doing all the research that you've done. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been an amazing experience for me and I'm looking forward to our mutual collaboration in the future and helping more people. Agreed, us too. Thank you everybody for listening. As always, please leave us a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you will listen to your podcast that helps us increase our reach. And if you have any questions for Sonia or if you have any topics that you would like for us to discuss on this podcast, please use the anonymous form on our website, reu.ca slash podcast, and you'll hear from us in two weeks.